1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have been in a series called A Beautiful Mess, and why we've been calling it A Beautiful Mess is we've been studying this church in Corinth, and the Bible teaches us this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, right now God sees you as beautiful. And so right now where you are, God sees you positionally before him as beautiful. He sees you as he sees his son through his righteousness. But we know in our practical everyday lives, we are very messy. Uh, we still commit sins. We have doubts. We have fears. We get things backwards. We get things wrong. And that we're a mess. But we're this beautiful mess. And so what we've been doing is just studying this church and going line by line through that. We're going to go all the way through the uh, first 10 chapters. That'll take us through the end of the summer. And then we're going to take a break from 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to it uh, next year. But this morning we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, to stand uh, to honor God in the reading of his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, verse 18, Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4, he says, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not here thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, I want you to notice verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Father, we have opened your word, and I pray this morning that you will open our minds to understand it, to receive it, our hearts to believe it, our lives to live it. And so, Lord, we just thank you this morning for the time of worship we have had through song and, and greeting one another and seeing baptisms and hearing about Elena coming. And, Lord, we're just grateful for the way you hear us and, and answer our prayers. And, Lord, just thank you for the way you love us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm invite you to be seated. You know, this morning, I want you right where you are, whether you're at home worshiping with us, whether you're in this room, to answer this question to yourself quietly. Success is. All right, how would you fill in that blank? How would you finish that statement? Success is. A lot of people would say success is money. Success is cars. Uh, how many I own, my, my job, my title at my work, you know, whether I'm a CEO or I'm a district manager or a manager, success is having a nice house, success is having a big family. That's how we can line up success. Success is all those things. Well, let me ask you this question. 
how would you feel that if you lived your whole life with that definition of success, only to realize at the end of your life that was wrong? How, how would you feel? It, it, what would be going through your mind right now if you lived your whole life with saying, okay, here's what success is. Here's how I'm going to define it according to the way the world tells me success is achieved, money and job and cars and family and houses and titles, to only find out in the end it's wrong. See, the Apostle Paul warns us of something in verse 18. He says this, Do not be deceived. Let no one deceive himself. For if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Paul's saying self-deception is really easy. That in self-deception, we can believe we're better off than we really are. In self-deception, we can think we're okay when we're really not. We can talk ourselves into being better people than we really think we are. And that's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit. Because back in chapter 2, if you'll go there with me, in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So chapter 2, verse 12, he said, We receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so Paul's saying there, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to correct any self-deception that we might have. Because we might have a wrong definition of success this morning that we don't want to carry all the way through life and to the very end to realize at that point we missed the boat. We were wrong. We were incorrect. Because what Paul does in verse 19, and he's warning us of this self-deception, is he's saying the world is going to tell you one thing success is, and the Bible's going to tell you another thing. And so the world, he says in verse 19, is going to say, here's how we find wisdom. We reject the things that are foolish. And so in chapter 1, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul told us there that the world sees the message of Christianity as, as foolish. It's just foolish. They, they, they see it that way. They don't see it as wisdom. It's, it's just for fools. Because have you really stopped and thought lately about the message that many of you believe? The message that many of you hold on to, you've been carrying for a good portion of your life? I mean, you're right now, for some of you, you are pinning your eternal hope on a person who lived over 2,000 years ago who said he would die on the cross to be able to take care of your sin and that he was going to be put in a tomb and three days later he was going to come up from the grave. That's what you're pinning your hope on. You're pinning your hope on that guy that we have written about in this book that have passed through many hands for 2,000 years and some people are going to look at that and go, that's utter foolishness. If I've got to pin my eternal hope on something, many people might say this, I'm going to put it on me. I'm going to put it on my morals. I'm going to put it on my goodness. I'm going to put on my attempts at being a good person. So maybe at the end of the day, I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. All right. So, so I, I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. And that's my hope going all the way through this life that I'm going to carry into eternity 
buddy, that's success. I'm not trusting in this guy over 2,000 years ago who said he would do something for me. For those of you that would say that, let me ask you this. How, at the end of the day, do you know you ever balance the scales of good and bad? How, at the end of the day, do you? I mean, be real honest with yourself. If you, right now, in your home, you're taking that stance, you're right here in this worship service, and you say, you know what, that's, that's my hope. I'm going to put it all on me. I'm going to put it all on my morals. I know I'm a pretty good person, and at the end of the day, I think I'll do enough good to outweigh my bad. That's the route I'm going to go. How in the world do you have any assurance in that? Because stop and think about it for a moment. Let's say you're in traffic tomorrow and uh, on your way to work and somebody cuts you off and you say something you shouldn't say or maybe you give a hand signal you shouldn't give. The Bible's going to say that's a sin. Right? You, you sinned against that person, okay? You did something wrong. You're like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did that. I mean, they made me angry. Cut them off in traffic. All right, I sinned against God. Got it. What do you have to do to outweigh that? Dishes for a week? Yeah. Like, hey, honey, man, on my way to work today, somebody cut me off. I got mad. I said something I shouldn't have said. I'm going to do the dishes this week. All right? I, I got it. I'm, I'm going to vacuum for a month. I mean, how do you know? Right? How do you know at the end of the day you ever made up the bad with your good? You don't. And But the world would say the message of Christianity is foolish. But watch what Paul says. To be wise in God's eyes, you have to become a fool in the world's eyes. You have to, verse 9, he says, to gain wisdom, you have to embrace foolishness. Let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. So that means this, if you want to get on the right side of God, you want to line up with him and to say, all right, God, I want my sin forgiven. I want to be with you in heaven for all of eternity. Christ then says, you got to become a fool in the world's eyes. That means some of your family will see you as foolish. Some of your friends will see you as foolish. Some of your co-workers will see you as foolish. But they can judge you all they want, verse, chapter 4 says. But at the end of the day, you want God to say, you're my son. You're my daughter. Because you embraced my son, Jesus and you trusted what he did for you over 2,000 years ago on the cross and through the resurrection. See, success is simply this. It's being faithful to Jesus. That's success. Success is being faithful to Jesus. And Paul's going to show us that through this text, that success is being faithful to Christ. Now, when you come to Christ, you're going to begin to see things very differently. And let's pick back up in verse 20, because he says in verse 20, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. So we do what chapter 1, verse 31 says, we boast in the Lord. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death or the present or the future, are all yours and your Christ and Christ is God. So when you come to faith in Christ and you say, my definition of success is being faithful to Jesus, that's what I'm shooting for in life, that's what I'm aiming for in life, so then the people coming behind us as the choir saying, they may say, yes, that's faithfulness to Jesus, I'm following you like Christ says to follow. Notice what Paul says. 
He says in verse 22, there are five things we all have, five things we all experience, the world, life, death, present, and the future. Now, all of us have those things in common, but we will not all see them the same way. So let me kind of give you two different camps here. First, for those of you that are without Christ, you've not placed your faith, your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone yet. You're going to see this this way. The world is going to tell you how to live and think. Without Christ, life tells you that your actions have no eternal consequences. Without Christ, death says life is all there is. When you die, your body goes into the ground and that's it. You cease to exist. Without Christ, the present tells you that now is all that you live for. Without Christ, the future says you have no hope because the future cannot be known. That's what it looks like with the world, life, death, and the future without Christ. But notice Paul says that in Christ you have all these things, but now the way you see them changes. Now the definition of success changes. The way the world would say is foolish, it changes. Now you're wise in these things. Because with Christ, the world is now a place where you discover God's truth in his word and not through human experience. With Christ, life seems, ceases to be something you worry about, and now you can live and serve the Lord. With Christ, death is no longer your enemy. With Christ, death is nothing you have to fear. It has no grip over your soul because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, put him in a ground, and three days later he rose in bodily form to beat death on your behalf. Right now, as a believer, when death comes, Christ says it's a mere passing from this life into the next. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. That's good news. With Christ, the present is not about the right race of life, but serving and living for Jesus now. With Christ, your future is secure because your king is on his throne. See how that all changes? What the world would call foolishness, God says, is wisdom when you become a fool in the world's eyes for Christ. Success is following Christ, being faithful to him. You know, in March 2019, for spring break, we took a family trip to the Grand Canyon. Uh, being an East Coast kid growing up, I didn't never really get this far out west, and so we went to the Grand Canyon, and then we also went to Joshua Tree, uh, California. So we literally, within a week, drove 3,000 miles, and so we were in the car for a long time, and we got to see a lot of things. It was really cool. But I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I know many of you have. And so when we were preparing for that trip, a lot of you were like, man, you're going to love it. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's awesome. It's everything. It just the pictures don't do it justice. Just going to, you know, just take your breath away. And I've had family go. And they said the same thing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. going to take your breath away. Pictures don't do it justice. So we get to the Grand Canyon. We only have one day at the Grand Canyon because of the way the trip uh, laid out. And so when we pull up to the Grand Canyon, we pull up to the first stop to be able to see it. Uh, here's a picture of what we saw. That's the Grand Canyon. 
That's what we saw. That day, a, a storm was rolling in, and clouds were rolling in, and, and blocked it. And uh, so you don't feel bad for me. We did get to see the Grand Canyon. What we had to do is we had to jump in the car, and then we had to start driving around the rim to various outlook points and wait for the clouds to break. And then it was like, okay, everybody out of the car. There it is, there it is. All right, woo, man, it's beautiful. And it was. It was beautiful. It was awesome. as everything people told me it was. You know, it just kind of took your breath away. And it was wonderful. Then the clouds would come rolling back in. And it's like, okay, everybody back in the car. And then we would drive to the next bullet point. And so we were chasing the clouds because what the clouds were doing were blocking our view of this beautiful beauty, blocking our view of this wonder, blocking this view of this awesomeness. And I just wonder out loud this morning, how many of you are seeing God like this? How many of you this morning, that's what you see when you talk about Christ? Because what's blocking your view of the wonder and the beauty of Christ is your sin. What's blocking your view of the wonder and the beauty of Christ is chasing a world definition of success. When you're not living for Jesus, you're living for you, you're living for your own morality, and all you're seeing is this, but behind those clouds is beauty, and it's wonder, and it's everything you would imagine. And what you're missing this morning is Christ, because you're not seeing it clearly. And so this morning, you have to determine how you are going to live. You have to determine how you will live. That's why Paul in chapter 4 in verse 1 says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, Moreover, it's required of stewards to be found faithful. Now that he uses that phrase, servants of Christ, and that's who we are as believers in Jesus. We serve Christ, we're his servants. That he is the king. He's the good boss. He's the good master. We're the servants. That means this. You don't own your own life. And for some of you, you're going to push back on me on that. And you're thinking right now, wait a minute. Who's this Jesus to tell me what to do? It's my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to make my own way. I want to cut my own path. I want to make my own decisions on morality. Who's this Jesus to tell me that? This morning, that's a foolish way of thinking because this is God who loves you, redeems you, empowers you as a believer. And this is God who's saying, here is the path I want you to take because I know better than you. We're servants of him. We're put in charge of something. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. And that phrase is simply this, a mystery is something that's not known. So for people who do not know the gospel, they've not heard of Christ this morning. That's a mystery to them. But we're stewards of that message. We've been entrusted with the message that we share with them. We help the mystery be known. It's revealed unto them. And verse 2 says, all we're called to do is be faithful in that calling. Success is following Christ faithfully. You might wonder, though, why does it really matter? Why does it really matter what I do? Why does it matter the way I live? Why can't I just, you know, cut my own path and decide morality-wise what I want to decide right and wrong? Why does that matter? Verse 5 says this, that when the Lord comes, he will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. What Paul points us to is this. There is coming a day where every single one of you, 
will stand before the Lord. Those of you that are at home worshiping with us, you will stand before the Lord. Every one of you in this room, you will stand before the Lord Jesus. And there are two groups that will stand before him. The first group are those that have not believed in Christ Jesus as their Savior. That means this, after death, there is no more hope. After death, there is no more opportunities for salvation. After death, there's no more opportunities to get right with the Lord. That you died with your sin unforgiven. You died without Christ as your Savior, and you are judged for your sin. You have sinned against an eternal God, and that punishment is an eternal hell in the lake of fire forever. You tried to bank on your own morality, and at that moment in time, you are going to find out you fell very, very short. Now, I say that out of love, and I say that as bad news because there is good news. If you have yet to trust Christ as your Savior, it is not too late for you. That if you have not trusted Christ yet as your Savior, today can be that day your sin is forgiven and you're assured eternity with God forever. But in that day when it comes, when you die, it's too late. That's one group who will stand before God in judgment. But there's another group, and that group is believers in Jesus Christ. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, that is not a judgment of salvation. We went over this a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians, but let me remind you or some of you catch you up. For believers, that's not a judgment of salvation. That is what Christ does for us right now. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Lord and Savior, he forgives you of all past, present, and future sin. That your eternity is secure with God. You're not going to lose that. So when you stand before God in judgment as a believer in Jesus Christ, he doesn't take away what he has given to you. But that is an evaluation. That's an evaluation of how you lived your life as a believer. That's an, a judgment of your rewards that you will take into heaven with you. And so as a believer in Christ, that motivates us now, not because we're afraid of our salvation. No, no, that's paid for by Christ. That's finished by Christ. We're bought with a, a price. We're purchased by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him. He's not going to take back what he's given to you. But as a believer right now, you ought to be motivated to live and to be faithful for Christ because you will stand before him. You will give a, an account for how you live, the way God has blessed you, equipped you, given you all those things to be used for the kingdom. You'll give an answer for that. And our motivation ought to be from the king's lips, well done, my good and faithful servant. This morning, success is being faithful to Jesus. But you have to determine whether you are going to do that or not. That's your decision to make. And so I want to give you that opportunity to make it right now this morning. Would you bow in prayer with me? I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. If you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision 
that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of, of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code, and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you, and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page or our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.